Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology. There was nobody understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. You're listening to Talking Biotech, a weekly podcast illuminating issues in agricultural and medical biotechnology. Your questions and concerns are addressed using a science-based approach with the goal of driving discovery to application with communication. Now here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulton. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss contemporary issues in science and technology with kind of a focus on biotechnology, new innovations that can help people and the planet. I'm Kevin Fulta, and today we'll be talking about participation in social media space, generating media, how somebody as a knowledgeable scientist or farmer can take an active role in defining how we communicate about science and or farming, agriculture, and what we do, and do it really effectively. And uh, with me today, we go to the state of Illinois, the land of Lincoln, uh, to, to talk to Rob Sharkey. Rob, are you are you there? I am here. How are you doing, Kevin? Doing great, yeah. So thank you very much for joining us. This is really cool to have you on. Um, where exactly are you in the state of Illinois? I, uh, I'm going to say I'm north central. So if you know where Peoria is, and if you know, played Peoria, the old saying. I'm about an hour north of Peoria. I'm about t- two hours southwest of Chicago. Okay, so what what town is that? A little town called Bradford. I mean, we've got what uh, we've got two bars, we've got three churches, and about seven meth labs. That's that's about it. <laughs> and then, but it's, uh, what is the next biggest town close to you? I I guess Peoria. Wow. It's kind of a uh, half hour, forty five minute drive to any to a Walmart. That's how we judge stuff here in Illinois. Yeah, I was trying to picture because I'm from Illinois too, and I I, I know that area kind of out west a little bit, like I'll you know Dixon that kind of area. And um, I was in DeKalb for years, and so I uh, get out to um, uh, you know I know that ride to Peoria pretty well. So just but um, but so your your deal is, and the reason I wanted to have you on is because first primary. Uh, what do you do as your central focus? What is your main career? I am a farmer. I'm a row crop farmer. So I grow corn and soybeans. And sometimes I, when I'm not feeling too bright, I try to grow wheat. Okay. So, right, so you, you actually are a farmer. You've been doing this your whole life. Yes, I am. Yep. I grew up on a farm, a, a farm kid. I'm, uh, I'm fifth generation. Uh, so this is, yep, I, I, I am officially a farmer. 
And the reason I wanted to have you on is because you not just are a farmer, you also have a podcast. So you're actually participating in media. And uh, the reason this, and, and we can talk about why that's why that's important in a couple minutes, but let's go back to the farming really quickly. Um, today, so much of what we hear about in in the major media, and I can think frequently of, rec- of recently published articles, have rather negative views. So very positive views on farmers, but very negative views on farming. Why do you think that is? Yeah, you know, I don't know. Because, you know, on one hand, you're saying, well, we, we know what we're doing. On the other hand, you're saying we don't. But I mean, this is this is what we've done. This is what we've grown up doing, most of us. I mean, we, we know the ins and outs of it. Um, it's gotten it, it's gotten so specific, so scientific on what we do. Um, you you have to be a sharp person to be able to farm to, today. I mean, the precision involved anymore is incredible. You know, one day this spring, I planted 30 million corn plants, and 99% of them were exactly 6.1 inches apart. We're very very specific about what we do um we're very accurate on what we do and we live right around what we farm i mean i'm my house here is surrounded by the fields that i I plant so i'm not only living and buy it my wife is and and my four kids are and so you're uh you're also using so you're talking about precision you know agriculture do you use a lot of the new techniques in terms of uh you know not just but gps and planting and all this kind of stuff oh yeah you know i've almost forgotten what it's like to actually steer a tractor because we have the, the auto steer engaged and uh every farmer will tell you it's you know for precision it, it's for you know being more accurate on applications of seeds and, and and fertilizer and herbicides but honestly we just like to do it so we can sit and tweet in the tractor cab <laughs> it, it, it's kind of funny because i i hear that quite a bit in terms of how uh you know, people say, well, farmers are just, you know, it's 1% of the population and farms are just these giant places that used to be these small little parcels of land. But it's technology that allows the 1% of people that are willing to do this to be able to take it on. And uh, it seems like, so the one side of the technology is the um, improvements in GPS, improvements in, uh, let's say, planting and application of inputs. But what about the genetics that you use on the farm in terms of uh, the plants that you produce? Well, now, I, I am three years old, so I have grown up on a farm. And so I've seen farming before, uh, you know, the genetically enhanced crops and after. And I've got to say the, the changes were just absolutely remarkable. I look back at when I was growing up, when I was helping my dad. And my dad was a, a steward of the farm. You know, he wanted to make the farm better than, than how he found it. You know, he, he wanted to leave it better. Uh, but with the technology they had then, uh, it was uh, – I look back at what we were putting on the crops back then, and, and it's like, wow. I mean, that's that's that was a lot of chemicals. That was a lot of pesticides and herbicides that we were putting on there. Um, the introduction of the, the GMO Roundup Ready uh, soybean that came in in the late 90s, um, we took a whole – to that very quickly um, it made sense you know it was safe and the advancements after that where they started putting the genes in there to where you didn't have to spray as many pesticides was i think almost more of a monumental leap in my mind than putting the roundup gene in there so the amount of pro- 
product, the amount of herbicides and the amount of pesticides that we're putting on an acre is, is just a fraction of what it was, you know, 30 years ago when I was a, a, a kid in a cabless tractor spraying corn and having the mist to the spray come up behind my back. And so, uh, you know, the advances we've made in 30 years are just phenomenal. So you talked about the changes that came along with the switch to different genetics. And what were some of the big differences when you adopted traded seeds and you could start using the herbicide and insect-resistant traits? Well, uh, quite a bit of difference. I mean, we were using just a fraction of the uh, the pesticides that we were. It used to be when I was a kid that there was a lot of crop dusting planes out there. And I'm not saying that that was bad or wrong or anything, but you, you just don't see that anymore because the traits are now in to the, the plant, um, so you don't have to use that. Plus, we're using you know, a lot less atrazine, which it used to be atrazine was kind of a hot topic button. You know, it was what was supposed to be leaching into our, our wells, our, our groundwater. Again, I, I don't think that was the case, but the introduction of the, uh, the GMO plants uh, allowed us to use a lot less atrazine. Yeah, so generally, the uh, when you look at these articles that say that the um, technologies and seeds are not beneficial for farmers, that they're not useful and not sustainable, how would you address that? I would argue day and night that I think my farm is more sustainable now with, with genetically enhanced crops than it was before. I farmed both sides of it. I farmed before you know G- GMOs, and I'm farming after GMOs. I feel a lot better about what I'm, you know, how I'm going to leave my farm to to my kids uh, than my dad did to me. Nothing against my dad; he did the <laughs> best he could. <laughs> but you know, there was you had to grow a crop. I mean, we have to grow a crop, and there are weeds that come up. If you don't spray a crop, you're going to lose it. I mean, the weeds are going to overtake it. It's just the way nature works. Uh, the old style of how I doing it. That's why you had, you know, 80% of the population was farming back then because it was just so inefficient. So, uh, yeah, after the genetic enhancement to plants, uh, I, I think we're doing a tremendous job, not only with you know, growing a safe crop, but for the environment as well. That's a really important point. I know that uh, sugar beet farmers are kind of against the wall right now with, uh, you know, if they want to do a non-GMO sugar beet or non-genetically engineered sugar beet, that they have to adopt hand labor. And so they're going back to wandering bands of people with hoes, usually migrant workers, who are physically removing weeds. Instead of costing $25 an acre to use glyphosate, it's costing $1,200 an acre for labor, if you can get it. And is that really where we need to go? I mean, are you going to hand weed your farm? I don't want to bring a bunch of hose on my farm, Kevin. <laughs> well put. No, very good. What do you look at in terms of the next big breakthroughs as a farmer? What gets you excited about farming looking ahead, say, 5, 10 years, maybe 20 years? Definitely the technology of it as we get more precise of what we're doing. You know, it's we're growing crops, we're growing food on a large scale. Uh, we have to fertilize and we have to, um, you know, control the weeds and the pests on those crops. We're getting more and more specific on how we do that. If we drop the fertilizer right where the plant needs it and, you know, not necessarily around it like that's how it's being done, then still very efficient. But, I mean, we're just going to get more and more precise of the placement of the inputs that we put on in that field. So when I'm planting crops now, you know, we, we have 
broadcast fertilizer on that crop. We work it in so that the plant can absorb it. If we can precisely put that fertilizer more where the plant needs it and nowhere else, that's not only going to help the plant help our bottom line, but it's going to take nutrients away from the weeds that are trying to grow too. And, and have you uh, adopted any of these uh, technologies like drones or satellites to do any imaging to uh, you know, estimate moisture content or get ideas about yields across the field? Yeah, I, I think that will be in the future. Um, I did buy a drone. It is currently sitting at the bottom of a farm pond uh, because it's <laughs> crashed in there. And I'm pretty sure that was the drone's fault and not the operator's fault, but I, I guess the drone people disagree. Uh, it, it is going to be more prevalent as we go on. It's just the technology keeping up with it. The infrared cameras that you can put on these drones so you can fly it over your crop and, you know, where it's you see the hotter spots, you know that that's got less plant matter, you know, taking up the heat. So it's, it's amazing what's, what's coming down the pike. Yeah, it's super cool. I mean, both the stuff that happens pre-harvest in the field um, that, you know, that you, you can, and I saw an operation up in uh, Canada recently where uh, you, they were actually looking at yields as they would compare to organic matter in soil as interpolated from drone information. And then they could reset their planters to do variable rate seed planting so that the areas that were most productive were getting more seeds. And really, really cool trade-offs. And then a lot of neat post-harvest stuff where now in a grain elevator or in a batch of grain, they have these little, I don't know if you've seen these, these little plastic pods that measure moisture and report it. Mm-hmm. And have you seen this kind of stuff? Yeah, and that's even getting away from the commercial level. There's more and more of that on individual farms, too. It's just, I mean, you've got all your money wrapped up in these grain bins. I mean, that is, that's your bank right there. So the last thing you want to do is to know that there's like a hot spot in the middle of it or there's some spoilage going on in the, the middle of one of these giant bins and you don't know about it till you start taking it out. This technology allows us to, to keep an eye on stuff that we've never been able to keep an eye on before. And then, so, so here we're talking about all these cool ideas. Genetics, we're talking about cool technologies that can actually work in the uh, on the farm both pre- and post-harvest. So how do you feel about people who say that this is wrong, it's not the way that we should be doing it, that we should be returning to simpler methods? Well, this is where I need to channel my inner Kevin and not just tell them to, you know, GFY. I just, you know, I need to try to be nice and understand that they they don't get it because, I, you know, I understand the benefits of what we're doing. And it's, it's easy to sit there and say, well, why don't you just grow your own food? And then, you know, you can talk to me about how I'm growing it for you. But <laughs> I need to change my way. I, like I said, I need to look at uh, what would Kevin do? I mean, <laughs> you're nice to people. That's a foreign concept to me. But I'm, I'm trying, Kevin. I'm trying my best. And maybe, maybe you're, you're making a difference in my life. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I did, wasn't always this way, by the way. You know, I'm, I come from a place where if you punch me, I punch you back really hard. And, uh, and I've always, you know, I'm very comfortable with that. And I'm, you know, was always very willing to take somebody on in a debate or, you know, or whatever. Um, and it really took a while to realize that I was turning off a lot of folks by being pointy. And, uh, but, but, you know, there's a time and a place, you know, (laughs) um, uh, to change barbs, you know, but, uh, um, 
we'll talk about that on the other side of the break because where I really want to go next is now that we know about who you are and what you do, I want to talk about your podcast and we'll do that right on the other side of the break. We're talking to Rob Sharkey, who's a farmer in central or north central Illinois, and um, he also does the, the Shark Farmer podcast. And we'll be right back with him on Talking Biotech. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. We get a lot of questions about how this thing is financed, who does the production, and who does the website. Some even tell us they think it has the fingerprints of Monsanto. Well, allay your suspicions, chemtrail sniffer. This work is done 100% by your host, Kevin Folta. He personally pays for the service space the domain names, the whole enchilada. And you can tell by the flimsy production, he engineers this thing too. From arranging the guests to post-production to website, this is 100% his time and his dollars. So we're passing the hat of gratuity and asking you for a little contribution. Write a review on iTunes. Tell a friend. Post a flyer about this podcast on the Whole Foods Community Bulletin Board. See how long that stays there. We're rapidly moving up the iTunes ratings, and you gentle listener are the gas in the tank of science communication and the thorn in the side of agriculture misinformation. Now, back to the Talking Biotech Podcast, already in progress. And now we're back on the Talking Biotech Podcast with Rob Sharkey. And Rob is a farmer in central Illinois who not just, who does something really cool. Not only is he a multi-generation family farmer, but he's taking the next step. And something that we talk about on the podcast all the time and that I talk about when I get out to the to discuss with groups of farmers or scientists is how do you connect your expertise and your deep knowledge of the subject with a public that wants to know more? And Rob, did, did you have any formal training in communication or public relations or media? No, 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 not at all. But uh, it's, it's, you know, farming's funny. Um, we were very reliant on our, our groups, our, our big farm groups, the Farm Bureau, the commodity groups, and they do an incredible job. Um, I just, unfortunately, I just never really fit in there. So I, I you know, I, I like to speak my mind. I like to just talk about what I think. And, you know, that doesn't always mesh with, you know, the kind of the, the structure, how you advocate. You know, that's that's not how they like to be it done so i like i said i never really fit in there so but you know i'm also a pretty vain guy so i just decided to start my own podcast uh, i had a a friend who had a, a podcast a karyzoka and she's a hunting podcast and the more i talked to her the more i decided i wanted to try this and you know originally it was going to be I'm, I'm also a, a deer outfitter so i bring in people to hunt in my area so it was going to be a podcast about hunting stories, that type of thing. Um, but I started interviewing some some farmers, and I really liked the way that went because there was some just incredible stories that they had that weren't getting told out there. So, you know, I just really decided to change this platform into a way to promote agriculture 
a way to promote farmers that maybe aren't necessarily getting heard. And so when you started that podcast, did you realize that you were filling a gap? No, like I said, a vanity is a good driver. I know I like <laughs> the sound of my voice. So, <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's, it's surprised me. I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's been humbling. I would have never, ever guessed uh, we had the success that we've had with it. And, um, you know, I just, at this point, I just want to pass it on. And there's a lot of farmers out there that, that could do this same thing, you know, whether it's a podcast or, or whatever medium they're going to do. So uh, that's that's what we're looking at now. And, and do you produce, do you uh, participate in other types of media and, you know, writing blogs or anything like this? I, I'm not a big blog writer. I have never been able to read well, uh, like horribly well. I just struggled through school. I struggled through college. Um, I just, I don't enjoy reading. I'm very jealous of a uh, person that can take a book and just got it lost in it. Um, and it transfers over to writing too. It's just something I do not like doing. So I was not going to be a blog type person. Um, so that's where, you know, the podcasting appealed to me. Yeah, well, and it seems like you do it really well. It's kind of like a, so I've listened to your podcast and um, we should say it's the Shark Farmer podcast. Is uh, Where can people listen to it? Well, they can listen to it on iTunes. Just search, you know, Shark Farmer, two different words. Or, and we're on the rest of the engines, you know, Podkickers and Stitcher. Okay, and well, what were some of the uh, more notable podcasts or guests that you've had? Well, you know, once we decided to go the farming route, uh, we, we decided to uh, look at lots of different ways. Um, one of the ones that really kicked us off was uh, a guy by the name of Sean Harmon, and he is a cyber bully. And he, was, he, he just flat out talked about it. Um, and he also talked about some things on his personal side, too. And that, that one really took off. Um, and then we moved into, we interviewed a, a trader, a grain trader from Chicago was not a farmer but was very interested in farming but what he did was he was talking about what the average consumer from chicago thought about when they were buying food and that was that was completely different for farmers to hear Uh, everything we thought uh, he was saying was different you know we thought it was driven by economics and and they wanted you know safe affordable that was that's what we're touting and he was just like you know we buy what we want and, uh, you know, that's the, the draw of why people go to Whole Foods, that type of thing. So, yeah, you are trying to mix things up. You know, I've been very heavily on farmers. And, you know, now I'm trying to get outside of my, my tribe because of Vance Crow and his, and his influence. Um, so that's why, you know, talking to scientists, you know, stuff like that, trying to get agriculture looking outside of agriculture. But who is your principal audience? Do you have any idea who listens to what you do? Uh, pretty much my mom and about three other people. Apparently, you've listened to one, so thank you for that. <laughs> so it's uh, very, very heavily farmers, and I would say very, very heavily uh, farmers that are on Twitter. Okay. Hi, Mrs. Sharky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Well, that's a, But that, that's been something that I've noticed in the last two years has really been different that you see a lot of uh, agriculture producers are actually participating in Twitter. Have you noticed this too? And is it any particular kinds of farmers or do you know any of them personally? Oh yeah. I mean, I've 
getting to be, you know, friends with a lot of them. You know, you go to these farm shows. Farm shows, you always have the tweet ups and that. So, but I mean, I mean, Kevin, we we don't steer our own tractors anymore. I mean, what are we going to do when we're planting corn? We're just screwing around on Twitter. <laughs> let's talk about that a little bit more. Or well, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about the idea of uh, the social interaction and social media and using it as a tool. Uh, do you think that farmers are pretty much an insular tribe or are there, is there, so right now it's a lot of farmers talking to farmers, at least from my perspective. Is that something that you see too? Uh, one thing that people need to understand about farmers is we are not working with a lot of other people. You know, if you're working with some hired help or some family, um, a lot of people are working by themselves. I interviewed a gal named Jen, Jennifer Campbell who made a quote that I'll never forget. It's like, you know, Twitter and social media is like the water cooler for farmers. So, you know, farmers are very heavily involved in social media. And I would say that's why. Because we don't get the social interaction that may someone else that lives that works in an office or a university does. Well, that's a really good point. I, 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 I didn't realize that too much until I, I actually saw, um, I don't know what I was watching, where they had a, like a dating site for farmers. Have you seen those commercials? Uh, Kevin, you don't have to be lonely at FarmersOnly.com. There you go. <laughs> they're they're pretty funny. I mean, they're 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 good though. I, the, yeah, uh, yeah, actually, to a farmer, they're not that funny, but we'll just let that go. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I I think funny because I think they're also rather, um, uh, let's say, disparaging to uh, you know the city mouse woman too. I mean, they kind of make her look pretty bad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they do. They they really expose her for the horrible person she is. <laughs> but, you know, the, they have the real housewife type who is, you know, looking for a, a, a date on the farm. And, you know, it doesn't go so well. Um, yeah, I, I hope she finds love. Eventually. There's one born every minute, right? Um, and, you know, every pot's got a lid. Um, so well, let's go back to, you know, your podcast and in, 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 in as you execute this thing, what are some of the ways that you think what you've done can serve as a model for other ag producers? I mean, do you, do you, I mean, was it really difficult for you to start? Yes, it was because I, like I said, I had no idea what I am doing. And like I said, I had my friend Carrie Zoka is had a podcast for eight years. She, my wife and I, drove up to her house and she basically sat down and showed me step by step how to do it and i don't know if that didn't happen if i would have done this you know just i i have not done a lot with you know the the recording the skype i didn't even know how to download skype so uh, if it wasn't for her and her promotion right off the bat you know i i don't think i'd be doing it so i want to help other people start farming podcasts um, I, I'm under the theory that you know the rising tide will raise all the ships, so I think it won't. You know, will only help agriculture. I think it'll only help my podcast. There's been a lot of interest in starting a podcast. You know, I'm getting uh, calls from from farmers that say, "Hey, you know, uh, it's something I've been thinking about," and then I try to remember about how I was when that whole concept got brought up. So. We're trying to help people start new ones, um, trying to start platforms where they can get promotions. You know, no one wants to go to all the work of the podcast and have, you know, 10 people listen to it. So if we can create some platforms where, you know, they're, they're getting some promotion right off the bat, you know, that's the type of things we're looking at now. 
That's a really good point. And maybe there's actually a place for our wider um, agricultural infrastructure to adopt some sort of a platform that would uh, maybe provide some basic tools. Like, if, I don't know if you've used things like Zencaster or some of these other uh, tools that really are plug and play devices or even Google Hangouts where you don't have to be an expert. You can download the software, uh, have a conversation and record it, and then uh, be able to post that. Really easy. And then, like you say, the promotion side, um, having a few key players like yourself, maybe like, you know, like where I am, to be able to distribute and promote that work and distribute it through our networks. Uh, you know, maybe there's something that we can, you know, do together on that, or maybe there's something that you've already started. But looking back on it, do you feel that you overestimated the entry barrier? That maybe this is something that anybody could do if you just sat down and, you know, dedicated your time to, to sorting it out in an afternoon? Yes, without a doubt. Uh, it was very intimidating to me. Once you started describing what to do, um, I was like, boy, there's there's no way. I, y- you do a couple, and I was like, yeah, yeah it's, it, it is what it is. I mean, it's, it's not that hard. It's not rocket surgery. You, you can do it. If I can do it, I guarantee you anybody can do it. So, yeah, I, I encourage people to look into it and not be intimidated when you start seeing all the steps you have to go through because, honestly, it's, it's just not that hard. And is, is there, um, are you willing to do this? Like if people wanted to contact you, you know, after say this podcast and say, you know, help me get started, where do I start? I wish this uh, interview was next month because we are, we are in the works. We're, we're trying our best. Yes. I definitely want to promote more farmers getting into podcasting. And I'm not just saying that we are putting that into action. And so what's ne- so what is next? I mean, what is the uh, what do you, where do you go from Shark Farmer podcast? Uh, you know what happens now? I I I don't know. I, <laughs> I my love is farming. I love to farm. I just love every aspect of it. I love to put a seed in the ground, nurture it, and then harvest it. I love every single aspect of it. I love learning about it. That's what I love doing. Um, I, I like this doing this podcast, but you know I, I'm a farmer. I, I want everything I do is centered at keeping me at being a farmer, keeping the farm profitable. So I, yeah, I I hope some things come from the podcast, but uh, my main focus is continuing to farm. But I think you hit on something here that I talk to farm audiences about all the time. Is that if you go back 20 years and you talk to you know, businesses, like even just say neighborhood businesses that always were traditionally doing very well. And you said, you have to have a website. And I I used to sell websites back in the 90s. And when I was in grad school, I'd go into a place and say, uh, you know, I can have this thing called a website and it'll be on your computer. And people can punch in the name of a product or service. And if you do that, it'll come up. And they'd look at me and go, yeah right, <laughs> um, but 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 they they literally would say I you know I don't need that I have a big enough reputation and presence in our community already, and those places went away, and so how much do you feel that social media maybe even podcasting is not just um, uh, something that is a a hobby to talk about your true passion of farming but actually an integrated part of farming. That now if we want to farm and continue to farm using the technologies you want to use, don't you feel that there is a, or do you feel that there's a necessity 
to go out and talk about the, the technology and what you do? Yeah, farming is a little different, you know, and I've seen it from both sides of my my business as with the deer outfitting. The promotion there makes a difference in the bottom line of that business. And farming, it's a little harder to see. You know, I doing a podcast, I'm not making more money on my farm because of that podcast. But what I'm doing is I'm making sure that the word of agriculture gets out there. And that's a responsibility that every farmer has to take because if we don't, uh, the our opposition will take over. People that just don't want to believe in the truth, the common sense of things, people that want us to go back to farming the way we did 100 years ago, you know, that would be a disaster on a, on a global scale. And so if farmers don't stand up, if farmers don't get involved in social media, websites, you know, commenting on blogs, that type of thing, it's going to be a disaster. So we need to take care of our own business. But it's a little different than seeing, you know, the the return on investment firsthand like another business would. No, that, that extremely well put. So it, it almost can make the argument that it's a uh, it's an investment that guarantees your freedom to operate as an agricultural operation and as an agricultural community, but maybe as an investment in the future too, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've got four kids that want to come back and farm, which scares the hell out of me because I don't know how I'm going to build my farm to that point. But that's what I want. If they want to come back and farm, I want to try to give them an opportunity uh, to do that. Because, number one, they're all passionate about agriculture, and that's the type of people I want growing the food for this country. And, number two, you know, personally, I want to see you know my children come back to the farm. If, I'm gonna, if that's going to happen... You know, if they're going to be able to come back and, you know, produce food for the world, then, you know, it's up to us now uh, to set that platform for them. So I've listened to your podcast and it, it uh, frankly, I love it. I think you're a great host. You got an awesome sense of humor. I think it's, you know, in a funny way, I frequently think this guy is going to go somewhere. Uh, he you know, gets sucked up in the media somewhere. I really do think that. But it, your presence in the space has not always been uh, welcomed with open arms by the uh, farming community or by the, let's say, farm ag- advocate community. What were some of the problems that you've run into? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, <laughs> I guess when you when you uh, start causing some waves, that, that ripple effect can come back on you. But I, you know, advocacy, and that's what we termed it, you know, advocacy with an ag, so... It's, it's a funny thing. Um, there are some people that have been doing it for a very long time and doing a great job. Some of those people uh, are very protective of it. So when somebody new comes into it, uh, there's almost a cyberbully effect to it. And, you know, if you can say a lot of things about me, but I, you can't say that I'm not thick-skinned. So I, that's one thing. I can. It doesn't bother me. But when I sit back and think about other people trying to get in, I know it does. We addressed it on one of the podcasts, and that was probably the most feedback I ever got from people I had never talked to before, never you know, even interacted with on social media. Stories about how they wanted to start telling them, you know, the, the story of their farm, and then all of a sudden you know, they were gaining a little popularity, and they started to get beat up by some of the more established ones. Um, I don't know if it's a taboo. I don't understand why people haven't called it out before then. But uh, I guess I had no problem just calling it out 
on a podcast uh, that was gaining some traction. Um, so it, it didn't, yeah, it doesn't always make friends, but I'm out here to make it better for ag, not to, uh, you know, this is, like I said, I want to farm. Um, I, I'm not out here to be, you know, the shark farmer, you know, that is making all his money off of giving speeches and stuff like that. I want to make my career off of feeding people. So to do that, I need to tell my story, and uh, I'm going to fight pretty hard to where other people can tell their story, too, without being harassed about, you know, not saying exactly the right words and stuff like that. And I understand that, and uh, I, I, I think that what you're probably seeing is some blowback from a agricultural community that didn't step into this discussion the correct way. Um, I'm saying that from a farm, from a science community that still has no clue how to do it. Um, we're, you know, we're, I mean, we, we have a clue, but very few people are doing it correctly. Um, and when we say correctly, it means anybody who rubs, who tries something different is automatically, you know, ostracized, right? And maybe that's kind of what you're feeling, but is, is it, is it really, I guess this kind of, you know, as you've mentioned before, a kind of cannibalism, um, how common do you think that really is, and how do we get around it? I, I was surprised about the comments that came after that podcast. So it was a lot more common than it is. Now, to me, uh, being talked about on a private Facebook page behind my back, I, it, it doesn't bother me. Now, to someone else, uh, it's going to be enough to keep them out from telling their story. It's just, just the way it is, and that's what bothers me. Um, how you get around it, I <laughs> I might be the wrong person to ask because I I say you go right at it. I mean, you call these people out. Um, and like I said, it's, it has not made me a lot of friends. But hopefully, you know, the next time they try to go to bash someone for telling their story, that I'll, they'll have a little shark in the back of their mind. <laughs> well, the other thought, too, is is that if um, if everybody starts doing this effectively, then you don't have to do it anymore. That would be fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel the same way about this in science. I mean, as much as I love communicating the science and talking about it, it, you know, takes hours a week away from what I, what really my primary passions are. Um, I'm sure that, you know, you get the same kind of feel. So Rob Sharkey, um, Shark Farmer Podcast, where do we find you on Twitter and where do we listen to the podcast? Uh, you know, I'm proud to announce because I I left Twitter once and I came back and someone had taken at Shark Farmer, uh, so I got and I screwed up when I signed up, so I had some stupid SF two eighty four thirty or whatever. So, but I checked the other day and at Shark Farmer is available, so you can search Shark Farmer. If you get to at Shark Farmer, it gives you a link to to follow me on the other one. So yeah, uh, I'm very happy with that, Kevin. It, it made my day. But other than that, you can find the uh, Shark Farmer podcast at iTunes or anywhere you can download podcasts. All right. So thank you very much, Rob. Very nice to talk to you. Uh, Best wishes going forward, and thanks for being on Talking Biotech. Thanks so much, Kevin. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Please send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review on iTunes and recommend this podcast to a friend. More downloads and reviews raise the visibility of this podcast and help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra. 
the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.